So how's it going, everybody? That sounded like a Black Hawk hangover. How's it going? Good. Glad to hear it. All right. Well, my name is Casey Tiger, and I'm the spiritual formation pastor here at Parkview, and I'm just excited to be here. I'm excited to be here on this weekend. I'm excited to be here with you and getting able to talk about uh, what we're going to talk about this morning. Last year, we started this series called What Would Jesus Hate? And maybe if you're here visiting for the first time, you might think, well, man, all the stuff I've heard about Jesus, I kind of got the opinion and the impression that Jesus really didn't hate anything. But there are times in the Bible, there are times in Scripture where Jesus gets riled up, where Jesus gets frustrated and he gets riled up and he gets angry and there are things that he's radically against. And so we want to talk about those today. And hate's a pretty strong word, but I think you'll find out why that is. And I get to talk about religious ripoffs. Um, there was a time when I was in college where I was a poor college kid. You know how that goes. Some of you have been there. And and I didn't have anything, and I didn't have any money. And so one day, one of my friends came to the dorm, and he said, Hey, listen, there's this guy who's a friend of mine. And it's always somebody's friend that does this, by the way. It makes me question who I hang out with. He says, There's this friend of mine, and he's got this plan. And this plan says you can do very little amount of stuff and make a lot of money doing it. Have you heard this one? This, you've seen this infomercial, haven't you? And so I said, Well, yeah, I got nothing, man, I, and I got time because it's not not like I'm studying or anything else like that. So he came, and the guy walked into the room, and we all looked at him, and we thought, dude, that's who I want to be. I mean, that dude is dressed like I want to dress. He's got the attitude that I want to have. He's got, it looks like he's got it all together. And he said, you know, it's very easy, gentlemen. All you do is buy into this program, put a little money up front. You give people the code to this website. They go and buy stuff, and then you make money off of that. Like, I, yeah, I'm in, I'm in, man. I got time, I got extra, you know. So I paid in a little bit, and I got some business cards made up. Man, I was rocking, and I was giving these things out to everybody. The, the downside is the only people I really knew were other poor college kids who didn't really even want to buy the stuff that I was trying. It was like housewares and home goods. I mean, home goods for a college freshman, a guy in a dorm, there's no such thing as home goods. It's stuff that we put stuff on top of in order to keep it there out of the way. That's what you could probably define a ripoff as. It's something that promises something up front, but really fails to deliver. Something that you think you want or think you need, but in the end it just doesn't deliver. There are lots of things like that in the world today. Um, some people that I've talked to have had the iPad. They say, it's just like a big iPhone you can't talk on. And I'm like, oh, that's, that doesn't quite deliver on the promises. Or like Cubs tickets. <laughs> Every time. It, it promises something up front, but in the end fails to deliver. It's just the way it goes. There are always those things that we get pitched and we get sold in commercials and all over the place that say, you need this. This will make your life better. And a lot of times in the end, they just don't. So when we talk about religious ripoffs, what do we mean? Well, it's kind of like this. You're wondering if I was going to talk about this, weren't you? Or if I was just messing with your head. It's like, what is that thing on this? See, this is the plush bus or also known as the crane game. And these things are built with a specific audience in mind. So it's eye level to any kid that might be walking by. So you can see SpongeBob or whatever else is in the bottom that the kid might want. And he walks up and he's like, I've got to have that. I've got to have that. And so what you do is you start pumping quarters. 
Well, if you've ever played this thing, it doesn't always go down far enough to grab the stuff at the bottom. So you keep trying and keep trying and keep trying, and maybe at some point it'll grab something. But these things eat quarters like teenage boys at Old Country Buffet. That's what they're designed to do. And the only person that really gets a benefit out of this is the person who runs the machine. The person who owns the machine gets all of the revenue from you trying and trying and trying to win something for your kid or your kid to win something for themselves. See, religious ripoffs are much like this machine. They set themselves up and say, here's what you really need, here's what you really want, and here's how you get it. You come here, you give your money here, you serve here, you give all this stuff, and at some point or another, God will finally love you and finally pay attention to you. Now, I have found a way, you know, the Internet is a great place. I have found a way that you can actually short-circuit the whole crane system, and uh, this kid actually shows us how you do it. Dude, just skip the middleman. Just climb right in it, grab the toy, forget the crane, and you look at him in his eyes. He's like, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of what I did. I'm not getting ripped off again. He understands that every commercial, everything that looks like we want it, may not be what we need. And God has this very interesting perspective on all of this. See, because we get pitched the fact that we need money and security and health and all of that stuff is good to have, but is that really the point? Is that really the center of the story? What happens is the religious ripoffs find all that stuff we've been pitched that we think we need, that we actually want, and then find that desire within us that we want those things and find the fact that we believe God can give anybody anything and they bring them together and they say, You want all this? Well, God can give you all this. All you have to do is come to our church or come to our place of teaching or watch our television program and you just put some quarters in here. Give it a shot. And at some point, God will give you exactly what you want. That's what religious ripoffs are based on. Now, Jesus talked about this kind, of, this kind of attitude, and he addressed it in a couple of ways. In Luke chapter 20, verse 45, he shows us that a lot of times the religious leaders used God for greed. Let me show you what it says here. Verse 45, while all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, beware the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and in the places of honor at banquets. He says, look, look at these guys. Look at the way they portray themselves. They want you to notice them. They want you to notice that not only are they a person who works for God, the teachers of the law were like the pastors of that time. They taught people how to have a relationship with God, how to answer those deep spiritual questions. They were the guys you went to with all of that. And so they walked around in the Armani suit and the beautiful shoes and the gold watch and the huge mansions and the huge beautiful cars so that everyone would notice them. If Jesus were here today and were standing outside the church, he would sometimes say, not this church, but if he were standing on a church like this, he would say, watch out for those pastors and teachers that set themselves up so you pay attention to them. Now why is that? Look at what he says next in verse 47. He says, they devour widows' houses for a show and make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. So not only are they putting themselves out there so people will notice them, they're also taking advantage of people who are in desperate, desperate need. Widows at this time couldn't work. So if your husband dies, you had no way of making any money. You had no way of really getting any food or housing or any of your basic needs taken care of. So widows a lot of times would come to the people that they thought should help them, the people who work for God. 
And so the widows would come in and they'd come and they'd see the teachers of the law and they'd say, we would love to help you. We would love to give you what you need. Here's what you need to do. You just come over here and you give us a down payment. Give us just a little bit up front to secure our services and then we'll help you get what you need. And so they would give them their houses or their food or whatever they had left and they would pump it into this game. And the teachers of the law would move the crane around and if God didn't give them what, oh, I'm so sorry. Sorry it didn't work out this time. Maybe you come back next time with another little bit of money up front and we'll take care of you. In the meantime, they've got the back of the machine open and they're shopping online for the next Dolce and Gabbana flowing robe, you know? That's the problem with religious ripoffs. Come and drop a coin in our game. Come and do what we're asking you to do and maybe, maybe God will meet you here. Maybe God will take care of you here. And the interesting thing is these guys knew better. So it's not like they didn't know any better. At the time when they were five years old, the teachers of the law would have memorized the entire Old Testament. That's 39 books. Now, I don't know what you were doing when you were five. I can guess what I was doing when I was five, but I can tell you that it probably wasn't memorizing the Old Testament. But the teachers of the law, by five years old, they had it ingrained and written in their hearts what God wanted them to do. And they knew then passages like this in Deuteronomy 26. When you finish paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of tithing, giving it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled, give it to them. Give it to the widow. Basically, God says every third year you give 10% of whatever you have, to widows who are helpless. This is what the teachers of the law knew in their hearts. Or also when God was frustrated with Israel in Isaiah chapter 1, he says, wash yourselves clean, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. Not with money up front, not if they do the right things, not if they show up on the right holy days of observance. When they come, you plead their cause and you do it for free because that's, that's what I want from you. It isn't something new. And you know what? The sad thing is there are churches and pastors and teachers even today who are propping up their own lives on the backs of people who are in desperate need propping up their own lives on this thought, this bad story that somehow we got taught, whether it was by our families or by our old churches, that if you want God to love you, you've got to do the stuff that makes God love you. It'd be really easy to make some cash off of that. You know what? That, that really tweaks me. That makes me sick, and it makes Jesus sick that that kind of thing is even happening today. Because when someone calls themselves pastor, they stand, they stand shoulder to shoulder with me. That's the same title. And to see somebody who shares that title, to think that they can actually live their life and prop their ministry up like that makes me sick and it makes Jesus sick. And that's why it's one of those things that it's what Jesus would hate. A newspaper reporter in New Orleans once said, there's more fraud committed in America in the name of God than any other fraud. Now we live in Illinois, we know all about fraud. But there is more fraud committed in the name of God than any other fraud in this country. And the newspaper reporter said, and that's just not right. Man, I cannot agree with that more. People are going through such incredible pain and turmoil, and they just want justice. Maybe you're this, in this place today. You just want some justice. You just want some truth, some healing, and some life. Show me a God who actually cares about what's going on in my life. But instead, what we find are these really, really bad, bad, 
God plays, of God's love. What you may find is a pastor or a teacher who asks for your allegiance to be to them more than to God. Can I tell you something? If you ever find yourself in a situation where the worship and honor of a pastor is higher than the worship and honor of God, you're in a cult. Get out. If you ever find yourself, let me say it again, if you ever find yourself in a place where the worship and honor of the pastor is higher than the worship and honor of God, you're in a cult. Get out, get out, get out, get out. Because it's destructive and it's dangerous. Here's what Jesus says about leaders and how the disciples should lead their people. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to serve, be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, watch out for the teachers of the law because they're dangerous. They set up this whole system of God. They set up this whole system where you pay me enough respect as your pastor. You pay me enough respect. You pay enough money. You give enough of your time. You give enough of your faith. And maybe one day that crane will drop and give you that thing that you need. But that's not the story that God's telling throughout the scriptures. Also, sometimes you get this whole scenario that, hey, we can get you out of debt. I was watching a television preacher once. My wife asked me not to do that because it gets me all riled up sometimes. But sometimes I like to do it because, you know, sometimes it's fun just to get riled up a little bit. And so out in the parking lot, he had this giant steel altar. It was like a tractor trailer size. You could camp on this thing. And he said, here's what we want. God wants you to be debt free. So what we want you all to do, all of you who are watching, all of you who are in the church, we want you to send us all of your bills. We're going to spread them out on this steel altar. We're going to set fire to them and God is going to get you out of debt. And please don't forget, in that mail that you send us with all your bills to include your tax-deductible gift to our ministry. Now there's a reason I don't handle the checkbook in our house and it's because I'm not great at math and I'm not great at finance but I think I can say if I've got enough money to send you a tax deductible gift maybe I should just pay one of my bills with it. Am I an idiot on this? If you're here today and you've got the last $20 to your name with you and you're planning on dropping it in a basket at the end of the service because you think if you do that maybe God will help you out of the jam that you're in or God will love you more take that take whatever that is that you've got left put it in your pocket and leave with it don't worry I've asked before I said this if you've got the last of your resources and you think I'll just give this and then maybe God will help me Maybe God will love me and notice me. Take it, stick it in your pocket, and leave with it because it's not what we're about here. It's not what we're about here. We don't give so that God will act. We give because God has already acted. God has already given us the greatest gift in the world, which we'll get to just in case you feel like it's getting a little heavy here. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he doesn't have. We give because of grace, because God gave to us first, and not that we want anything in return. And that's what our giving should reflect. And the reality is, a lot of times, it's only the religious ripoffs 
that end up looking like God is blessing them. We, we don't see that. It's not the reality of the world. It's not the reality that Jesus teaches through his own life and his experience. There's this great story in the Bible where Jesus is entering into the temple. And in the temple, there's two different courts. There's a court for the Jews and there's a court for the Gentiles. There's a court for the accepted people and there's a court for the people who God kind of likes but really doesn't want to hang out with. Uh, This is what most family reunions look like. There's the people you want to hang out with and then there's the people that you don't even know if you're related to them and hoping that you're not. So in this inner court, they would go and they would offer sacrifices and they would worship God and they would be close to God. But in this outer court, the Gentiles would kind of just sit there and wait and maybe possibly have this connection with God develop. But what's also in the court of the Gentiles is a flea market. It's a place where you'd come and you would buy your goat or whatever animal you were going to sacrifice. And strangely enough, they were priest approved and they were higher than retail price. (laughs) Go figure. Sounds like something familiar. And so the Gentiles are there trying to pray in the midst of this ear-bleeding marketplace. They can't focus. They can't do anything because of the sound of bleeding animals and people bartering for goats, which we all know what that's like, right? How many times have you had to barter with a goat? And Jesus does one of the most amazing things. In John 2, it says, Jesus formed a whip of cords and he drove them out of the temple. Drove them out of the temple. Think Indiana Jones chasing after Marion. Think a lion tamer chasing after an escaped lion. Think Patrick Kane in open ice with the puck heading to goal. Think Braveheart with a big honking sword. This is what's going on here. Jesus charges into the temple and drives out those who are buying and selling. Why? Because it's not reflecting God's priorities. It's all about this thing. What's going on is people are saying, you Gentiles, you know, if you were just good enough, you could, we would let you play the game, but instead, we're going to keep you from God. And Jesus is radically aligned against anything that would keep us from knowing God, especially when it's religion and especially when it's ripping people off. It's just not the priorities of the world that Jesus wanted everyone to know about. It's turning over that bad story that God wants us to do things and give things so that he'll love us and turning it into a different story. And how do we know that? Let's look at the life and the talk and the things that Jesus talked about. He says in Matthew 8.20, Jesus replied to a man who wanted to follow him, foxes have holes and birds of air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Jesus was a homeless guy. How about that? Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Don't invest in stuff that doesn't last. Invest in stuff that's not temporary, stuff that's long-term, stuff that will make it. Good looks will be overtaken by gravity. It's the truth. Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, 
whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Content, whether we've got wealth and prosperity or whether we don't. See, the interesting thing to me about the religious ripoffs is I don't understand how you can promise that, that God wants you to have all these things when the people who are closest to Jesus, the people who are closest to the Son of God never had that. That's odd to me. God wants you to have wealth and health and prosperity. Paul was an ugly dude. History tells us, and when history tells you someone was ugly, it's because he was especially ugly. But look at what happens to the people who follow Jesus. He calls them into this bigger life, into something more than just the health and the wealth and the prosperity and the good looks. He calls them to the kingdom, something huge, something indescribable, something that lasts forever. But look at what happens to them literally. Paul goes to prison, starves, and is executed. Peter goes to prison, is stoned, not that way but the other way, and is executed. John went to prison, was exiled, and then died of natural causes. So he got lucky. How is it that they can promise health and wealth and prosperity when the people who were closest to Jesus never had that? That's not the Forbes list I just read you. But what does he promise instead? What does Jesus give the people who walk after him instead of all of this? He says this, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, stop trying so hard to make God love you. Come to me. Let me walk beside you. Let me carry this weight with you. And then he even promises, and I will be, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Why does this work? Why is this good? I have a three-year-old. Um, her name is Bailey. She is the greatest child ever born. Uh, we have paperwork. We got it documented, actually. It's, she has a license. It's a little card. She carries it in her purse. Greatest child ever born. And we love her very much. But Bailey is three, and we call her the bee, so I'll refer to it, her as the bee from now on. The bee is very curious. And so she came in the kitchen one day when we were cooking, and she saw this bottle up on the counter. And it was nice burnt orange color, and it caught her eye. Cayenne pepper. You're, I'm not even there yet. Give me a second. <laughs> she sees this, and I'm not making fun of the way she talks. Please understand. She sees this, and she goes, I want to try that. I want to try that. And so after, God bless her, after four teaspoons, she really started to get a taste for it. And she stopped crying. It was... <sighs> I didn't give it to her. I gave her a grape and kept us out of the emergency room for crying out loud. But why did I do that? Did I do that so I could tell this story and you wouldn't have to call DCFS when you left? Did I do that because I wanted to harsh her buzz and like control her entire life? No, it's because I didn't want her face to melt off the front of her skull. And so the thing about God is God loves us too much to answer prayers that would ruin us. God loves us too much to give us things that would eventually destroy us. The religious ripoffs say anything you want, God wants to give you, but I think God is smarter than that. Because you know what? The stuff we want sometimes is not the stuff that's good for us. Sometimes the stuff we want 
could destroy us, and God loves us too much for that. But see, the religious ripoffs, they use the Bible and they say that God promised to give prosperity and stuff and land, but they never look at the fact that God was just promising enough. God was promising survival, not prosperity like that. He says, don't be anxious, Jesus says, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Religious ripoffs say that if you pray with enough faith, whatever you want will happen, but if you don't get it, it means that you don't have enough faith. And I've seen this affect families who have sick kids, and their kids don't get well, and their church tells them it's because you don't have enough faith. But Hebrews tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It says, whether the answer is yes or whether the answer is no, I trust you, God, that you're a good dad and that you're smart enough to know what the best for me is. So how does Scripture define God? Well, instead, Scripture defines God as a good father, a smart, knowing father who knows exactly what we need, just like I would like to know in not giving my daughter cayenne pepper. It says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, We'll instead give him a, we'll ask for a fish, we'll instead of a fish give him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God is a good father. So God knows exactly what we need. Now Jesus does say in one place, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. But a lot of times people ignore the in my name thing. To ask for something in Jesus' name means that it needs to match what God desires. It needs to match the things that are good for us, good for his people, and good for his kingdom. See, God gives us what we have so that we can be who we were destined to be. God gives us living in the kingdom, not a life as a king. And the reality is that all of this stuff, every bit of it, no matter what church background you came from, no matter whether you've been burned by one of these religious rip-off churches or not, no matter where you come from, God grants all of these things and they're perfectly free. Now you can come and you can play this game. You can feed the money in. You can say, I'm being faithful enough and I'm working hard enough and I'm doing all the right religious stuff enough. But you see, the problem is, that it's free. You don't need to use the crane. You don't need to pump in the quarters. Before you came in this room today, the scripture tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Before we took a moment to sing, before you prayed your first prayer, before you gave your first dollar, the scripture says Christ died for you. You don't need to use the crane. You don't need to put in more faith and more money. God is a good father and he knows exactly what you need. He knows you need the gift that he has to give you. So what does this gift have involved in it? It's got two big things that help to hold us together. The first is peace. Despite whatever is going on around us, God gives us peace to center us. We'd rather have stuff to kind of fight against the stuff that's going on in our lives, the stuff that's out of control. We'd rather have the, the resources to pay off those things that are, that are taunting us. And maybe God will give us that. But above all things, he gives us peace. 
After Jesus was crucified, Scripture says that eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, why did he have to say that? Because when he showed up in the room, they all went, Ah! Because people who die don't typically come back from the dead. And they don't typically walk through walls into locked rooms. So in the midst of all that craziness, in the midst of all that psychotic world that they were involved in, not knowing what was going to happen, Jesus steps into the middle of it and says, peace be with you. He anchors us in peace even when our worlds are out of control, even when we feel like nothing is going to go right. The other thing he promises us is hope. G.K. Chesterton said that it's only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. It's only when we feel like everything is out of control and we can't work hard enough to make it right, it's only then when this hope from Jesus takes shape in our hearts and we realize no matter what's going on, no matter what I'm struggling with, I'm centered in the peace and hope of God. Lamentations 3.24 says, The Lord is my portion, therefore I will hope in him. The point of religion is not playing the crane game. The point of religion is not giving God our efforts and our money and our faith. The point of it is to know that God is the only source of hope we need. God is the smartest father we will ever need. God is the only source of hope that we need in the world. That's the point of religion. That's the point of faith. That's the point of Jesus. Romans 8.24 says, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. See, patience lasts. Patience isn't temporary. Trust me, I have a three-year-old, I know. You develop it and it sticks. And patience and hope and peace are what we need. That's what we really need. And God, who is the greatest father ever, knows how to give those things to us. So what happens then? when the life of Jesus shines its beautiful, bright, beaming light on the rest of the world? What happens when the religious rip-offs are finally seen in the light of the life and example of Jesus? When the light of the life of Jesus, the trust, the hope, and the peace that he represents explodes into the world, the religious rip-offs are seen for what they are, imposters. They're not on your side. They're not on the side of the widow. They're not on the side of the fatherless. They're not on the side of those who are in this room, like me, like you, who are in desperate need of a Savior. Instead, what we see is this free gift, given before we even merited it, ready to be taken. What I love about the message translation of Jesus' promise to his disciples is the way it says this. Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burnt out on religion? Come away with me. Come away with me and you'll recover your life. The gift that Jesus wants to give is the recovery of your life. The peace and the hope and the trust that we need to do what we do on a daily basis. So my question to you is this morning, will you take it? Well, that truly is what this world needs, and, and the great thing is that's what this world has, is a Savior. You know, I was reflecting as we get ready for communion, I was reflecting on the end of Jesus' life. He's with his disciples, and he, he's troubled, and he goes to a garden to pray. 
And so he leaves his disciples behind and he goes on by himself to a lonely place and he says, Father, if it's possible, would you, would you take this cup from me? Now there's no one in the world with more faith than Jesus. And so the thought is, is that if every prayer that we pray that's answered, that is prayed with enough faith gets answered, then what do we do with this one? What if God had answered that prayer and said, yeah, let's not do it? You and I today may still be playing that game, trying to get God to notice us, trying to get God to rescue us. But instead, Jesus says, you know, but not what I want, but what you want. The greatest hope the world ever had or the world will ever have is based on an unanswered prayer. When God said no to Jesus, he was being a good father. Knowing what the world needed more was for his son to die and to rise again so that you and I might have the free gift of life and life to the full. As we take communion, would you meditate on that today? There are two cups when the tray comes by. There are two cups. Take both of those cups out. Hold them Uh, We will commune together. If you're here and you believe in Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're a member of this church or whatever. If you believe in Jesus, we welcome you to uh, share communion with us today. Let me pray for us. God, it's in your name and it's in your, your glory that we come and we're so thankful for all that you've done and right now we meditate on the fact that your son, your son went through the suffering of a lifetime so that we might have the life of the kingdom within us. Thank you for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.